Good morning, church. So good to be with you. Happy Father's Day. I wanted to, uh, where is my, oh, that's my wife's brother right there. I wanted to welcome him and his beautiful family. Um, They're from California, and uh, we get to spend time with them over the next couple of weeks. And so welcome, welcome, Mr. Gerard. Glad you guys are here. Um, Let's see. Well, happy Father's Day. So glad for all you fathers out there, you mighty men of God. I believe the Lord has a good word for us this morning. Um, We're continuing our series in the book of Philippians. And this morning we're in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Listen carefully. This is the word of God. And it says this. It says, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things, it says, without complaining and disputing. My wife and I, uh, we just got back earlier this month from a trip to Disneyland. We had a great time, and this is us in Disneyland. We had an awesome time. And even in Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, I was surprised to see and hear all the grumbling and complaining. We would stand in lines for 45 minutes to an hour waiting for a ride. And I would overhear parents complaining and grumbling. I would overhear children complaining and grumbling. We would stand in line for food. And I would hear parents complaining and grumbling about the prices. I would hear children complaining and grumbling about the cold food. We would stand in line to pay for our merchandise, our souvenirs. And I would overhear parents complaining and grumbling. I would overhear children complaining and grumbling. Apparently, even at the happiest place on earth, there is seriously a lot of complaining and grumbling that goes on. And doesn't Eeyore epitomize all that it means about complaining and grumbling. But the Apostle Paul says, do all things without complaining and grumbling. Well, complaining and grumbling seems to be like a normal part of our society. We are prone to complain and grumble. In fact, complaining and grumbling is such a normal part of our lives that most of us will not even recognize it. We're not even aware when we complain and grumble. In fact, I want you to do an experiment this week. This week, I want you to kind of pay attention to the conversations that you have. Pay attention to the conversations that maybe you overhear. And you'll be surprised at how much complaining and grumbling happens. We complain and grumble about everything. We complain and grumble about the government. We complain and grumble about the economy, about taxes. We complain and grumble about the weather. We complain and grumble about our spouses. We complain and grumble about our children. We complain and grumble about other people's children. We complain and grumble about everything. 
Even the sports teams that we love and we cheer on, surprisingly, we complain and grumble about them too. We complain and grumble about everything. And you might be asking, so what's wrong with complaining and grumbling? It's my right. That's true, it's your right. But let me tell you what's wrong. You see, if you read the Old Testament, you will find that complaining and grumbling is a serious spiritual problem with serious spiritual consequences. In the book of Exodus, the people of God are slaves in Egypt. The conditions were horrible for the people of God. And the people of God cry out to the Lord for help. And the Lord rescues them from Egypt, rescues them from the oppression, rescues them from slavery. And so here they are. The Lord leads his people into the wilderness, into the desert. They're free. Free from bondage, free from oppression, free from slavery. But here they are. They start to complain and grumble. Check out what it says in Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. It says this. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, it says, they went about in the desert, traveling without finding water. And so when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And so listen carefully to what happens next. So the people grumbled against Moses and said, what are we to drink? Imagine that. They've just been delivered out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of the oppression. And here they are. Right after they've watched God Almighty split the Red Sea so that they can walk on dry ground. And, and they've watched the pursuing Egyptian army get swallowed up by the Red Sea. And here they are, grumbling and complaining. And here, perhaps the complaining might be justified. After all, they're kind of thirsty, right? But here's what happens when you start to complain and grumble. When you complain and grumble, it will poison your heart and mind. Complaining and grumbling makes you begin to say foolish things. Complaining and grumbling causes you to wallow in the low places. But God is gracious and He's merciful. And so here, God miraculously provides fresh water for the people to, to drink. Do you think they're done with their complaining and grumbling? Absolutely not. You see, Complaining and grumbling begets more complaining and grumbling. And so what do the people of God complain about next? 
They complain about food. Take a look at what it says in Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. And this was on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. How melodramatic. They're not going to starve. But that's what complaining and grumbling does. It poisons your heart and mind. It makes you say foolish things. It causes you to wallow in the low places. But God is gracious and merciful. And so God miraculously provides manna or bread from heaven for God's people to eat. Think they're done with their complaining and grumbling now? Absolutely not. You see, complaining and grumbling begets more complaining and grumbling. So what do the people of God complain about next? Water again. Take a look at chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. It says this. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. And so they camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for them to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. And listen carefully, it says, And they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Again, how melodramatic. No one's going to die of thirst. But that's what complaining and grumbling does. Complaining and grumbling poisons our heart and our mind. Complaining and grumbling makes us say foolish things. Complaining and grumbling causes us to wallow in the low places. But God is gracious and merciful and long-suffering. And so God miraculously provides water from a rock for them to drink. Think they're done with their complaining and grumbling now? Absolutely not. You see, complaining and grumbling begets more complaining 
and grumbling. And I could go on and on with example after example of the people of God complaining and grumbling. But I'll just skip to Numbers chapter 14. In Numbers chapter 14, the people of God are on the outskirts of the promised land. They send 12 spies to do some recon, to scout out the promised land. Well, 10 of those 12 spies, they come back with a negative report. They start to complain and grumble. The inhabitants of the land are too strong, are too powerful, are too big for us, they complain. We have no chance against them, they grumble. And this complaining and grumbling spreads like cancer throughout the entire camp. Listen carefully to what it says in Numbers 14, beginning in verse 1. It says this. It says, That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword, they complain and grumble. Our wives and children will be taken like plunder. And then listen carefully to what they say next. They say, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they say to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's what complaining and grumbling does. It poisons the hearts and minds here of an entire nation. Complaining and grumbling makes an entire nation say foolish things. Complaining and grumbling cause this entire nation to wallow in the low places. God can take our complaining and grumbling. But sometimes enough is enough. Listen to God's response. Numbers 14, beginning in verse 26, says this. You won't like it. I'm warning you now. Listen carefully to what it says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do for you the very thing I heard was heard you say, in this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you 
will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. Grumbling and complaining is a spiritual problem with spiritual consequences. And tragically, for this, the, this generation of Israelites, none of them, except Caleb and Joshua, were allowed to enter the promised land. We need to take seriously Paul's exhortation to do all things without complaining and grumbling. So how do we curb our complaining and grumbling? I'd like to just quickly share one strategy that I've been kind of experimenting with. And the word is Savor. Everyone say, savor. savor. Women, it's not like going shopping in savers now. It's like S-A-V-O-R. Savor. Savor. Savor means to taste good food or drink and to enjoy it completely. Have you ever tasted something so delicious that you started to slow down to savor the flavors. Man, I enjoy eating. So I get super excited when I'm eating good food. Actually, it's kind of embarrassing because I make savor, savoring-like noises. And I say savoring-like phrases. I mean, here's a few of the foods that I savor. I savor... Miso butterfish from Cunillos in Waikele. You know what I mean? Yeah? Oh, man, when I have that in front of me, miso butterfish from Cunillos. Mmm. Oh, so good. I get my wife all embarrassed, and I'm eyeing hers one out too. Poor thing. Another um, food that I savor is um, cow bee from Willow Tree. You know what I mean? Yep. Cow bee from Willow Tree in Kailua. Ho, oh, when I'm eating that, I'm like, mmm, oh, so good. Oh, yeah. Very embarrassing. Um, oh, another uh, food that I savor. My wife makes this pumpkin crunch dessert. Mmm, oh, so good, so ono. When we savor food, we slow down a bit and we enjoy and appreciate it. I think we can do that with life as well. We can savor life. We can slow down a bit and maybe find something to enjoy, something to appreciate about the moment or the experience or the person. Psalm 34, 8 says this. It says, taste and see 
that the Lord is good. And perhaps God wants us to savor life, to slow down a bit and find something to appreciate about the moment, something to enjoy about the experience or the person. And in doing so, perhaps we will recognize God in the moment. Perhaps we'll recognize God in the experience. Perhaps we'll recognize God in that person. And then it is then that we perhaps truly taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, my friend Arlene, she just had, um, I'm pulling up a text from her, but she just had a surgery to remove cancer from her um, tongue. And so it was an oral surgery. And here's the text I have from her. And um, it, it was actually exactly, I looked it up, it was actually exactly one month ago today that you, you had that surgery. At one month ago. And, um, and so here she is today, one month later. Isn't that pretty, isn't that cool? But this oral cancer, this oral surgery really set her back. She's out of work for at least two months. It was very painful. I mean, even now, she slurs when she speaks, and she'll, she'll need to get some physical therapy in order to, for her to speak well again. It really set her back. And Arlene could have complained and grumbled about this cancer, this oral surgery, but check out this text. She, cho- she chose to savor. She chose to savor. Take a look at this. Listen carefully. It says, There was a cold sore on the side of my tongue that never completely went away. I went to get a biopsy and was diagnosed with oral cancer stage 2. I needed surgery to remove the ca- cancer in the margins. They couldn't leave the tongue without filling in what was removed because a scar tissue would form and the tongue would hang. So, listen to this. So a tongue reconstruction surgery was needed. A small portion of my wrist, right here, of my wrist, was grafted to replace what was surgically removed on my tongue. And then, check this out, a blood vessel that was, that's right here in the arm, a blood vessel from my arm was removed to connect and to be grafted to the tongue. This is because these blood vessels match the blood vessels in the tongue. And then listen to what Arlene writes. She says, this is amazing. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And she goes on and on like this. Arlene could have grumbled and complained about the cancer and the surgery, but she chose to savor. She chose to slow down and find something to appreciate about the experience. And in doing so, she was able to recognize God in the experience. And she was able to truly taste and see that the Lord is good. If we are looking for 
things to grumble and complain about in life, I guarantee you will find tons of things to com- complain and grumble about. But perhaps God wants us to savor life, to slow down and find something to enjoy, find something to appreciate about the moment, about the experience, about the person that you're next to. And in doing so, perhaps you'll recognize God in the moment. Perhaps you'll recognize God in the experience. Perhaps you'll recognize God in that person made in the image of God. And then perhaps you will truly taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? All right, let us pray.